Right hand side. <laughs> right side. Right side. All right. I got to do the PowerPoint and uh, sermon preach. That's two things at once. I don't know if I can do that. Chew gum and uh, speak at the same time. First Christian Church. Good morning. It's been a long, long time, hasn't it? Um, what a blessing to be back in this place that my wife and I spent um, seven and a half years. A lot of hearts intertwined together, a lot of blessings together. It was back in 1987, I got a phone call from my cousin, uh, her husband, K. Paul Ross was his name, Lynn was my cousin, and said, we need you to come down and interview for your youth ministry. Well, the situation was I was in my first year of Bible college. My second semester, I said, I don't know what I'm doing yet. I, I can't. He, and he persisted and just came after. Just come. Just come for an interview. And so I finally relented and I came. And the next thing, what was happening, every weekend I was driving two and a half hours from Lincoln Christian College to Brook, Indiana. The blessing of all that was my parents live a half an hour from here on the Illinois side. And so I was able to stay at home. During college, my claim to fame is I never did my laundry once. Um, so, Mom, here it is again. Here it is. And so we, we love that. Um, so one of the things that happened in the midst of this, I, I met a gal in high school, and her name is Deb. It's my wife here. And we married in 1990, and so she was a part of this ministry as well. And we moved into a home, uh, Lloyd and Millie Hahn's home, at 309 West Howard Street. And I had to drive in this morning and go by the old house there for a moment and just kind of reminisce. And so I just want you to know, Brooke has had and will always have a special, special place in my heart. There's so many faces and families. It started off with Fred and Phyllis Keim, and uh, they, was, they, they were the ministers. Uh, Fred was, but his wife was a minister as well and taught me so many things of children's ministry and VBS. And uh, As a matter of fact, um, I don't know if you knew, Fred moved to a, a town just about a half an hour away from Normal, uh, Illinois, where we're at now. And so he came to our church maybe about once every other month, and his grand daughter attends our church, College Park now, and she's uh, one of our techies in the back, uh, Stephanie Kime, and so that's a real blessing. Then I had the opportunity to work with Elvin Wands, and I so enjoyed working together with his family, and the highlight, the memory I, I remember most was our mission trip to Colorado, and, and uh, Stella, you were there along with us with, with a number of other people. And finally, I had the opportunity to work with Ken Marsh and his family. Uh, he was a guy who so, so loved missions, and his heart just beat missions. And so that was a big influence on me to become a person who more and more uh, appreciated missions. Ken, when I was in Normal, he would send me a packet. I kid you not, every single month. And I so look forward to it. It had your bulletins in it. It had the newsletter in it. It had business stuff in it. It had magnetic stickers from businesses. and just, Whatever he could find and put his hands on, Ken would send that to me. And I absolutely loved it. And then so many of you, I see some of the Viegas kids back here. They were my uh, test guinea pigs in youth ministry because again this was a guy first year in Bible college and they turned me loose on you guys and hope I didn't ruin you too awfully bad but boy we had a great time and I can't thank you for the training that you all gave me and especially the love that you poured out on my family and I what, what a blessing and now we have Facebook and so there's a number of you that we are connected on Facebook these days we can keep up with one another even though we're about two uh, two hours away from each other 
other. Well, I want to spend just a moment and catch you up on my family, who I am, what's been happening in our lives, and then I look forward to hearing from you as well of what's been happening in your life. We're still in uh, Bloomington Normal. It's a twin city of about 100,000 people. We've been there now uh, 27 years. We'll start our 28th year next year. So I started off as their uh, children's and youth minister. What I left doing here, and I say I started off as their children and youth minister, and then about nine years later I got demoted to an associate minister, and here I am nine years later, I've hit rock bottom as their preacher, and so you know, <laughs> youth ministry is where it's at in children's ministry, and, and then we get older, and, and we have to minister to old fogies, don't we, Chauncey, then, so the fun is in the children's ministry, but no. Um, so what ended up happening then um, with all of that, it's just been a blessing of a ride. Our family has uh, grown together there. My wife Deb is here. Uh, I keep Deb in the basement of our church. Um, that's her place because she is our director of our Sharing Tree Preschool. And so that's what she does with most of her time. Um, when we had our five children, uh, once they were back in school, I kind of said to her, so are you thinking about going back to work? And she was a social work major from ISU. And she she said, yeah, I think I am. Uh, the church is opening up a teaching position and with the kids. And I'm like, are you kidding me? We just got all five kids out of the house and you want to go be with little toddlers? And she said, yeah, I really love that. How many years have you been doing that now, hon? 13 years now, and she is now our director of that um, for the last several years as well. So um, while we were at Brook, we had our first child, Bethany, and then when we left, we were expecting our second child, uh, Nick. And so I want to show you, here's a recent picture of our crew. Uh, this was at a wedding of my daughter's just this past um, July, and we number 11. Now let me briefly introduce my crew to you here. This is Bethany and her fiancé, Anthony. She is now Dr. Bethany Psalm. She is in her first year of residency as an OBGYN. Uh, he also is doctor, Dr. Nestler, and he is a doctor of orthopedics. They're getting married in December of this year, so we're pretty excited about that. Uh, this is my son Nick and his wife Taylor. Uh, Nick is an actuary at State Farm. Don't ask me what he does. He plays with numbers is all I know and, and statistics. Uh, they gave us, you can see on the right, our first grandchild in November and uh, in February and we are just uh, beside ourselves with this little girl who lives in walking distance away from us so we love that. Uh, this is Mackenzie and her husband Devin. Mackenzie, like I said, she's the one I showed the big picture, got married in July. Uh, this is her husband Devin. Mackenzie is a fifth grade teacher in the normal Unit 5 uh, district down there. And uh, what, what a crazy year for her to get in with the whole COVID stuff. This is just her second year, and she started teaching, and then they were at home, and then at home, and then back into school. Uh, Devin is a government guy. He works for the U.S. Department of Agriculture in the Natural Resource Conservation Service, and he is quite a son-in-law and a real blessing to us. Uh, this is Matthew. He is our college-age son right now. He's 21. Um, he is uh, graduating with a business degree, maybe the end of this year, maybe next spring. We're not real sure on that yet. Uh, he loves all things tennis. You can see Federer behind him in that picture. Um, and then our baby is Jonathan. Jonathan is our giant baby. He is the youngest of all. He's 16 years old, but he is the tallest and the biggest of all of our kids. Uh, football was his passion here, and he just finished up his football season. So that, that is our crew. Um, there we go. 
Well, it's been a pretty crazy past 20 months, hadn't it, with all this COVID situation here? Uh, we kept watching events fall like dominoes almost. We had a pandemic, we had world catastrophes going on, political division, we saw racial tension on our TVs, and a recurring question kept coming to us, what's next? What's going to happen next here? And some were actually describing the events of our times as in biblical proportions because they looked like things that we read about in the scriptures all along and they were happening in our own time, in our own world. Some were predicting the end is near. I don't know about that. My Bible says no one knows the day or the hour. But what I do believe is this. God is still in control. He is not unaware of the circumstances of our world's happening. And if you were to ask me, I believe these events are actually a display of God's love towards us. He's offering mankind an opportunity to turn to Him again and to repent. And I believe He's calling the church to be a part of this as well. And as much as we see a lot of people cowering and in fear about what's happening, we as God's children and people, we need to step up to the plate and say, there is hope in this world. Don't despair. And so I think that's part of what I want to share with us today as we talk about this love command. Well, we spent this last year and a half sheltering, distancing, wearing masks, shopping online, wiping everything down with disinfectant wipes, working from home. Anybody familiar with Zoom? Uh, I'm, I'm so tired of Zoom meetings. Uh, on and on we would do them. Our world has changed, hasn't it? And, and even the church has changed at some level as well. What hasn't changed is this, is that God still calls you and I, His people, to represent Him to a world that is far, far from Him. And so we have a job to do. And so the question is, how do we do that now in our time, in our day? How do we be God's representative? And so if I were to ask you this question, what's the greatest characteristic of a Christian? What would you say? What would you tell me? What's the greatest characteristic of a believer of Jesus Christ? What, what represented Jesus so much? I think the verses that we looked at that Jessica read earlier here, John 3.16, for God so loved, loved the world. Don't you think love is the greatest characteristic that we have as believers in Jesus Christ? The question really should be what should be the greatest, and I say should be because not all Christians exhibit love in the manner that God calls us to, nor in the manner that Jesus showed us how to love. And so what you need to understand is that real, biblical, godly love, it doesn't come naturally to us. It, it, we're born of the flesh, the Bible tells us. John 13, 35 says this, By this all men will know that you are my, my disciples, if you, what? If you love one another. By this the world, those who are far from God, will know that you are His children by the way you exhibit love to one another. And so love, and we're talking biblical love, is something that we grow into. It's something that we're taught from God, taught from the Scriptures. It's something that we hopefully begin to understand and grasp. And then it's something that we display among the world with one another. And of all the commandments the Bible presents to us, which one did Jesus say is the greatest? To love God and to love man. To love our Father in heaven and to love our neighbor. I think every Christian knows that, and though we know the answer, it's the practical way of expressing that love that we often miss. I believe if God's people were faithful in obeying that command, that one command, the church 
and the world, it would have a much different look than what it does today. And so these next two days, we're going to be looking at what it means to keep the love command. And so I've entitled our little weekend together this, Keeping the Love Command. And that's what I hope to, to bring to you, this, these next three messages here, what it means for us in practical ways to keep this command that God calls us to love. Well, I want to start with a scripture, and I'll have all my scriptures on the screen, but if you'd like to thumb through your Bible or use your electronic devices, feel free to do that. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 is where I want to pause for a moment here to set the stage for our study and time together. And so 1 Thessalonians 4.9 says this, Now about brotherly love, we do not need to write to you. For you yourselves have been, and would you say this next part with me here, taught by God to love each other. Now just stop right there a minute and soak in that statement. We have been taught by God to love one another. The Amplified Version says this, For you have been personally, personally taught by God to love one another. And so in this goal of maturing in love, you have a private tutor. You have a personal instructor. You have your own teacher in what it means to practically love one another. It's not me. It's not Chauncey. It's not the elders here or Sunday school teachers. It's not your mom and dad. You have a personal teacher, God. The Word makes clear that God is and will be a personal teacher for you, teaching you to what? What is He teaching us to do? To love each other, to love one another. Verse 10 says this then. And in fact, you do love all the brothers throughout Macedonia. And this was a providence where, where a lot of churches were started by Paul. He says, yet we urge you brothers and sisters to do so more and more. To do what more and more? But to love one another more and more. The Amplified says that you excel in this manner of love. The New King James says, We urge you, brethren, that you increase more and more in your love. I like the message translation by Eugene Peterson. He says this, Keep at it. Get better and better and better at it. Isn't that where we need to be? We need to be a people who are increasing in our love. How many of you have arrived at your full potential of love? Let me see the hands of those who have arrived there. There's not a one of us, is there? There's always room for improvement and growth. We will, if we're faithful and obedient, we will continue to grow in love until we take our last breath. The Apostle John in his first letter tells us twice in this letter, God is love. Not God has love, or not God offers love, or not God gives love, but God is love. He is the essence of love. So when you consider God as our teacher teaching us about love, who would know more about love than, than love itself, right? God is love. And so there are two truths we see in this passage here. We are taught by God to love each other, and then we're told to increase or to excel in this love, to do so more and more. Anybody interested in that? Do you want to know how to increase in love? Do you want to excel in that? And if so, that's what we're going to be spending some time on these next three messages here. Well, it's easy to get caught up in talking about love, the meaning of love, the desire of love. It's easy even to sing about love. We did a lot of that today as we gathered. We sang a lot about it. I'm not sure we spend enough time talking about love, how to love, how to do it, how to put it into practice. And and I believe this. Our Christian lives should be wrapped up in this, learning about and living out and keeping the love command. 
We're going to let God teach us, and I hope you're going to open up and allow Him to do that. And then we're going to work at changing our lives and doing things in a way uh, to grow so that that love grows more and more. Well, it's pretty interesting, Chauncey, for your communion meditation, you used John chapter 13, and this is the chapter of the upper room, and he shared this already about Jesus washing his disciples' feet. It deals with the Last Supper. Uh, It deals with um, Judas uh, betraying Jesus. It deals with Peter's denial. John records for us, beginning in chapter 13, and then for the next several chapters, some of the final teachings that we have of Jesus And if you have a Bible like mine, when you read these words of Jesus, what color are they? They're red. They're red letters here. And red letters mean to us that these words trump anything else that anybody else might say. So I don't care what you've heard about love in books. I don't care what you've heard about love in movies or heard about it from different speakers. Jesus is the one who has something to say about it. And His words trump all of those other words that we have. So let's look together at John 13, verse 34. And it says this, A new command I give you. Let's stop there just a moment. What's a command? What is a command? It's instruction. It's it's a demand. It's a directive. I like to use the word order. It's an order. Like used in military, a command or an order. Is, it, is an order a suggestion? No, it's not a suggestion. An order is an order. And this order, this love command comes from the head of the church, Jesus Christ. This is one of the first things we need to get established in our work, walk in relationship with God. That this is a commandment. This is an order. This is the commandment. And it's expected to be kept. So what is this command? What's it say to us? A new command I give you. Say it with me. Love one another. Who's he speaking to here? His disciples who were gathered. The the believers who were following him. And how were they to love? Let's keep reading. What's it say? As I have loved you, so you must love one another. And so there's a standard in how we are to love, isn't there? And Jesus is that standard. And so the question is, are you able to love like Jesus? And according to this verse, the answer is, yes, we are. We're capable of loving like Him. We may say, I'm not Jesus, and we know that, that you're not. But we're to love like Him. Look around this room a minute. Are you able to love these people in this place? Are you able to love them like Jesus loved? And your answer needs to be yes. Can you love your family? Can you love your neighbor? Can you love your co-worker? like Jesus loved. And sometimes those people are pretty tough to love, but the answer is still, yes, we can still love them. And not only can you, according to what we're looking at here, you're commanded to. You and I are commanded to love one another, even when those people are difficult to love. And sometimes that's you. You know that, right? (laughs) I know I'm difficult to love at times. All this comes from the head of the church, the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords. This is an order, the order. Any military people in here? Some of you that serve, raise your hand. See you in the back here. Thank you for your service. 
Um, in the military, when your commanding officer gave you an order, did you sit around debating, thinking about what? Uh, so they told you what time you're going to get up in the morning, and you kind of said to them, "Well, that's kind of early, isn't it? Um, can we talk about this a little bit?" Or you might have said to them, "Marching? Oh, I'm not real fond of marching. Is there something maybe else I could do here?" We don't do that. And so if men and women can be disciplined to obey the orders of other human beings, why can't we discipline ourselves to the head of the church, the one who has given us this new command? He's given us an order, and He expects it to be obeyed. So should this command, should this order, should this be important to you? Absolutely, it should be. It should be on the forefront of your, of your life. It should be there all the time. When you get up in the morning, you should be thinking, I've got to keep the order. I've got to keep the order. When midday comes around, you've got to be thinking, have I kept the order? Have I done what He's calling me? And when you put your head down in, pe- at, in the pillow at night, you need to be thinking, did I love others the way He commanded me to? Well, let's move ahead a couple of chapters. Again, this is red letter stuff here. And we read these words. As the Father has loved me, and Jesus speaking again, so I have loved you. Jesus Himself was keeping this command of love. He was loving His disciples. He's loving even us as the Father have loved Him. Now remain in my love, Jesus says. Verse 10. If you obey my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I've obeyed my Father's commands and remain in His love. I've told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. And my command is this. He tells it again to us. Love each other as I have loved you. Can I tell you one of the enemy's tactics in the midst of all of this command of love? He tries to make you and I believe and think That if I'm going to live this life of love that Jesus has put on display for me, then I realize I'm going to be sacrificing things about myself. I'm going to be giving everything else up for others. I'm going to do things that I don't necessarily want to do. Um, Giving up stuff I don't want to give up. And so ultimately, if I keep the love command, what happens then? I become unhappy so that others can be happy. Is Is that the way it's supposed to work in this? Not at all. And yet a lot of people have that mindset. If I'm going to love like Jesus, well, then I'm going to have to be sad because I've got to give it all up. That's not what this passage says. Look at it again in the Amplified Version here. It says, I have told you these things so that my joy, whose joy? Jesus' joy and delight may be in you and that your joy may be what? Full and complete and overflowing. We have this mentality that if we really love the way God wants us to love, if we really walk in love, it's not going to be any fun. It's going to be all work and all sacrifice. That's not what you read in the Scriptures here. Jesus said, I will give you my joy. It will be complete. It will be full. It will be overflowing. Is that what you want in your life? Verse 11 is the truth. If you keep this love command, what's going to happen? His joy. His joy is going to be your strength. Get you through each day. His joy is going to be complete, full, and overflowing. You won't be unhappy. You will be the happiest you have been in your life. You know, some of you experience this when you've done stuff like Stella. We talk about that mission trip. Some of the most joyous times in my life is when I've had difficult mission trips and have slept on dirt floors and and worked all night long and I've walked away from those feeling like I'm on cloud nine. And just, Lord, you have filled me with such great love and joy in my life, real purpose. And so, uh, don't get things mixed up by the enemy here. 
Listen to this. Here's a few phrases for you. The selfish life is an empty life. You will keep chasing and chasing and chasing after. People want things in order to think it'll make them happy. It doesn't happen. The self-centered life is a miserable life. You're going to live all about yourself. You're going to end your life in misery. Let's look at the flip side of this. The giving life is the fulfilling life. You want to live a life of open-handedness to others because of what God has done for you? You're going to have a life that is incredible. And the unselfish life, it is a satisfying life. And this is what so many people are missing because it's all about them. It's all about themselves and not about others the way Jesus has taught us. If you want to be really happy, become unselfish. You want a joyous and fulfilling life? Become the biggest giver around. I'm not just talking about giving money. I'm talking about giving of your life and who you are and your talents. Jesus taught and modeled for us another way. You live to give. You live to bless. You live to help other people. You begin to forget about yourself. You begin to focus upon others. And so if you're all about chasing stuff, money, materialism, status, fame, power, you begin to lose those things that make you happy. And you kid yourself. And you're following a lie when you chase after that. A lie that, again, most of the world is chasing after. Listen to these red letters again. What good will it be for someone to gain the whole world and yet forfeit their soul. Those are words of Jesus. So how do we do this? This is really what this weekend is all about. How do I practically obey this love command, this order given to me by the head of the church, Jesus? And so in each message, I want to be offering to you a teaching of God's Word that gives you some insight of what it means to live this command out in your lives. And so let me begin to close our time together with one practical way that God teaches us to love others. It comes from Romans chapter 12, verse 10. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. This is what we've been talking about, this love. Honor one another above yourselves. What's that mean, to honor one another above yourselves? Here's a Greek word for this. Proego omai. The actual meaning is to go before and to lead. And so what it means in here is to take the lead. Everybody wants to take the lead, don't they? Everybody wants to be in the front line and go first. You ever have the water fountain, little kids around, and who wants to? Well, everybody, everybody wants to get there first. What does our flesh say to us? Me, me first, let me. And then other people will say, no, let me, let me be first. The real meaning of this passage we're looking at is in this response in this manner. No, you go first. You take the lead. And it's you giving honor to somebody. The meaning is, let me turn it over to you. You go first. You go in line before me. And then the other will often say, no, by all means, you go first. And so it becomes this competition thing of, come on, who's going to go first here? That's the ad- attitude that he's talking about here. The NIV says here, honor one another above yourselves. The uh, uh, NASB says, give preference to one another in honor. And the King James says, in honor, preferring one another. I like the two last translations in here because they use the word prefer in here. Prefer comes from the Latin prefer. 
from prey, which means before, fair, which means to bear or to carry. And so God is teaching us today that we're to carry or bear others before ourselves. We are allowing them to lead. And so the question at hand then, sorry, is how do you prefer others? How do we prefer others? Let me give it to you in this manner here that I think you will understand. Do you prefer coffee or tea? Raise your hands. Do you prefer coffee? Who's my coffee? Or do you prefer tea? Wow, that's about 50% in here. Do you prefer beef or do you prefer chicken? There's beef. Do you prefer beef? Do you prefer chicken? All right, wow, that's about half and half in there again. What happens when you prefer something? When you prefer something, do you prefer coffee or tea? And many of you said coffee. Coffee gets raised up. What happens to tea? Tea gets left behind then, doesn't it? And so the idea of preferences is is that you prefer something, you take it, and it rises to the top where the other falls back. Do you prefer bacon or sausage? We go on and on with this. And so then it comes to this. Do you prefer you or him or her? Who do you prefer? And so this idea of giving honor to others is the idea of determining in your mind, in your heart, who are you going to prefer? Who are you going to put first in your life? If you prefer you, then what happens? Then they got left out. That other person gets left out. Look at another verse here from Philippians 2, chapter 3. Do nothing... Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourself. That's the idea of this idea of love here. Value others above yourself. The NASB says regard one another as more important. The ESV says count others as more significant. Again, I like the message here. Put yourself aside and help others to get ahead. So think about this during this time of pandemic and COVID. A lot of people were preferring others ahead of themselves, weren't they? When they were headed to their grocery stores and getting toilet paper, they said, no, you go, you go first, or the disinfectant and the wipes. Wasn't happening, was it? People were hoarding things and throwing them into their, because they thought, I'm going to be without, and I'm not going to be without, you're going to be without. That's not the idea of godly love, is it? People were not preferring others above themselves. They were preferring themselves. You know that when Jesus was hanging on the cross, there were those who said, He saved others. can He save Himself? Could He have? You better believe He could have. He could have gotten Himself off that cross. He could have called for legions of angels to come. He could have taken care of His own needs. He could have relieved Himself from all the pain and the suffering that He endured. But here's the essence of the Gospel message. Jesus did what? He preferred you. Jesus preferred you and chose Himself. Humbled Himself. If Jesus would have picked Himself, then we would have gotten unpicked. We would still be lost in our sins, wouldn't we? And so Jesus shows us the example here. I want to challenge you today to take this concept, this idea to, to lead in preferring others. I want to challenge you that before we meet again tonight, that you're going to prefer somebody. You're going to be watching for an opportunity 
that God lays out before you and instead of choosing yourself to do something, that could be as simple as um, flipping the TV around and what you're going to watch this afternoon. You're going to let your spouse do it or you're going to let your child do it or maybe where you're going to go out to eat. Uh, for, well, we're eating here, aren't we, Chauncey? So maybe where you're going out to eat to, uh, tonight, you're going to decide, I'm going to leave that up to you and you're going to give preference to somebody else. This is the lifestyle He's calling you and I to, a life of preferring others above ourselves. And in that, what are you going to find? Joy. What are you going to find? Satisfaction. What are you going to find? Completeness in Him. You're going to be happier than you have ever been in your life. And why is that? Because we're going to please God in the midst of all this. And we're going to work at obeying what's called the love command. Amen? Amen. Amen. Would you pray together with me? Father, we come to you today. We come to you, Jesus, head of the church, Lord of lords and King of kings. And God, we come before you today because you've given us a message. You've given us this command, this order to love one another. And God, as a church, I know this church in Brook has done this well very well throughout the years. And yet, Lord, you tell us to increase in it, to excel in this, to, to get better and better and better at it. And that's what we want to do. And so today you're giving this, this concept of preference to preferring others over ourselves. We need to humble ourselves. We need to see the example of Jesus, of how He gave His very self for the sake of us, sinful people, because of love. Thank you for that great and wonderful example that gives us hope and gives us new life in Christ. And so, Lord, this afternoon I'm praying over my brothers and sisters who are here today that you give them an opportunity where they, they really have to look inside and give preference to another over themselves. It's not easy. It's often hard. But it's what you call us to do in the love command. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.